Hey guys, Dan here. Just wanted to say a quick thank you for supporting the podcast. And if you'd like to advertise your business on the podcast in a slot just like this, please contact me at fisticuffs underscore podcast on Instagram. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the podcast. So here we are, the man behind Hardman Performance, Dale Hardman himself. Round of applause there from the, the audience. <laughs> How are we doing, my friend? How are you finding them? <laughs> How are you finding quarantine? Um, it's been okay. Uh, it, it's been some goods and some bads, I'd say. Um, obviously, it's, I've got two little children, so it's been nice to be able to spend some time at home with them. Um, but I'm very much a people's person, and I work with people every single day. So being stuck at home, not being able to interact with people is challenging. Um, but... You know, there's been situations in my life where I've been in a lot worse situations than this. So I'm um, I'm taking the positives and the and the negatives out of it. Well, that's when I sort of wanted to touch on a bit. Well, I say a bit, mainly most of this podcast probably, is um your background as well. Because I remember first finding you guys, I think it was a Facebook advert or something for your like summary of your experience in itself. Like, what? Tell the people listening what your background is because it's pretty in, pretty in- insane. <laughs> yeah. So. <sighs> Um, I mean, there's, there's some other people that have more insane backgrounds than me, but I'll say it's, it's been pretty busy since I left school. So um, I left school at 16, <laughs> joined busy. the Royal Marines. Um, I spent you know, almost six years in the Royal Marines and I went on operations in numerous different locations. And I was in Afghanistan for over a year of my life, done two tours there. Um, when I was about, when I was just before I turned 22, I then left and I was um, more for a hobby at the time. Um, because I was doing some combat sports anyway. But what happened was I um, I started competing in mixed martial arts and it kind of then evolved into a professional career, um, even though I wasn't planning on having a professional career in mixed martial arts. Um, and whilst I was doing that, I was studying to be an osteopath, trained to be an osteopath, and then uh, eventually set up my own practice. Now, I like to jump around timelines. I mean, that's just <laughs> completely... <laughs> Good. We've, got, we've got the summary sorted. Okay, let's go. Let's let's dig in a bit more detail of these things. So talk to me back at school before joining the Royal Marines and what was your initial plan at that point? Was it just getting stuck into yeah, that kind so of thing or was it? It was weird because I never had any plans to join the armed forces when I was when I was a child. Um, I got to about kind of you know 15, year 10, year 11, and I was starting to consider my options. Um, what am I going to do after I leave school? Um, and I... I had no idea. I didn't want to go into a trade. I didn't want to go into kind of, I didn't want to go into more education because at school I was really academic by, not by any um, fault of my own. I was just naturally academic. It wasn't an effort thing. I was just fortunate enough to have a good memory and I was good at school subjects. So um, I found school quite easy. So when I, when, when I was, when I got to 15, 16, I was kind of looking for something different, a challenge and I stumped, when I was speaking to one of my brother's um, friends, my bro- no, one of my friend's brother's friends, okay, and he um, he had a he had just joined the Royal Marines, and I got chatting to him, and I was like, okay, what's that? I got I got talking to him about it. I ended up then going onto the website, um, and there was at the time that they were running the campaign, ninety nine point nine nine percent need not apply, and I was like, okay, well. I fancy myself as being, you know, I, I think I, I can do this. I think I'm strong enough. I think I'm tough enough. So um, I'm going to I'm going to go and see what I'm made of. And then, yeah, from there, I started training for it. And then at 16, um, just after leaving school, I joined. 
Now, again, this is so so much to want to go into this. So the interesting thing with the Royal Marines commanders is they like to they build themselves for being thinking soldiers, being not just your sort of standard squaddies. They're the the elite of the elite. And the fact you came from like an academic background, being that kind of I don't know, it seemed to fit quite perfectly. So regards of Again, you say this all like it's really smooth and no hiccups and no issues. What was the initial training for that like? Because obviously it's intense. I, sh- so- I struggled, to be honest. <laughs> um, so I, I I looked at it as I knew that it was going to be tough. And then that's probably the reason I did it. Like I said, I found school really quite easy um, academically. And I wanted to to do something that I knew that I was going to find challenging. So I joined the, joined the Royal Marines. when And when I was going through training, I, was, I joined and I was 11 stone. I was, you know... And that was with, when I'm soaking wet. Um, you know, I was very, very skinny. Um, I was, you know, I was fit, body weight wise, but I had no idea what it, what it was going to feel like to put a put a burger on my back, um, 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds, 100 pounds, and march for long periods of time with uh, weapons and boots and stuff like that. I had no idea what it would be like to be sleep deprived. Um, I had no idea, and, and also as well with that, I was extremely fussy. So in, in terms of um, food, so throughout training, and I got better as, as training went on, but certainly for the first probably 20, and it's a 32-week course, and probably for the first 20, 25 weeks, I was running off a really, really restricted diet because I couldn't stomach the food. So um, training really beat me down. And actually, I ended up in, in, week, in week nine, I ended up in, um, in hospital for five days just run down with a really bad chest infection. Um, fortunately, um, I was able to continue with training. So what happened was there was there was a really important gym test that needs to be done in, in week nine of training. Um, I got really run down at the start of the week. I, I woke up and I couldn't breathe. And we used to have to run around camp. You couldn't walk anywhere after a certain period of time. We had to run as, as a group. And I, I remember waking up and thinking, I can't really breathe. And I spoke to my corporal and he, and, and he was like... Um, I was like, look, I can't, I can't run with you guys. I can't breathe. And he's like, okay, we'll go, go down to the sick bay. And it's one of the worst things when you're in train in Royal Marines training. You want, you want to get through it with your troop. You don't want to have anything get in the way where you have to go back and join another troop, basically. So say if you got ill for a period of two weeks, then your troop would move on and you'd have to then get back troop. Um, so I didn't, I didn't want that to happen. So I ended up being in hospital for five days, IV antibiotics. And then I came out on the, on the Friday. Um, and on the Saturday, I, I managed to do the gym test, just scraped it, um, but I got through it. Um, and yeah, and I think, I, was, I don't know what it was that was pushing me through when I was in training. I think probably, number one, I wanted to do something that was challenging. Number two, I didn't want to go home um, and be a failure um, <laughs> and tell everyone that I went, I, went and done, I went to join the Royal Marines, but I couldn't handle it. So there was a couple of things spurring me on. So, again, I want to go into quite a few points of this. So, first off the bat, when you say you were fussy, was it like, oh, these peas are touching the match? I can't be dealing with this. I was, I was <laughs> really, really, really fussy. I was, I was, I was so fussy when I was younger, um, and I'm a really good eater now. I've, uh, as over, as I've grown eater. up, I've got really, yeah, I can, you know, I'm, I'll try lots of different foods, and I've got a really, really, really healthy diet, and it's not restricted at all now. But when I was younger, I, I literally couldn't sometimes when people were eating certain foods i couldn't even sit at the table with them um, because it made me made me feel physically sick um and i certainly couldn't have the food anywhere near my plate 
So when I obviously joined training, um, I had no choice, you know, in terms of what I'd be eating. So I remember, I probably shouldn't say this, but I remember when I, when I was on exercises, I remember you'd get a 24-hour ration pack when you're in training. And, they, and in each ration pack, you've got about 5,000 calories. And you can imagine when you're doing military training, you're running around like a lunatic, it's freezing cold outside, you need the calories. In fact, you probably need more calories than what's in the pack. I remember like taking the because I, I just couldn't physically stomach it. And what and in the early stages of training, what the what the um, training team would do, they would check to make sure you've eaten all of your rations. So in the early stages of training, I couldn't physically stomach it. So I remember remember disposing off parts of my rations, burying them, etc., um, because I knew I'd be inspected to make sure I ate them, but I just couldn't physically eat them. Um, Obviously, as I've grown up and realised the importance of nutrition in in physical exercise and being able to sustain physical exercise, I, I realised that that was a, a massive error and probably explains why I found Royal Marines training so, so physically tough. Um, but it was probably the only choice I had at the time because I just couldn't physically stomach some of the stuff. I mean, oh, I mean, everyone's had that kind of. I'm not going to say the same experience because it's a bit dramatic trying to compare the two, but like you can't finish your dinner, there's more to finish. Off. Like, you just can't face it. But even to that extent, 5,000 calories. And it's probably like nutrient dense food as well, I'd imagine. Like it's not like, you know, sweets are like high calorie. It's probably like, you know, protein. No, to be honest, it is. It is A lot of it is because because they, they have to condense them down into ration packs and, and, and they have evolved over time. They've got a lot better. When I was leaving, they they had improved a lot, and certainly now the ration packs they get now are, are light years ahead of what they were back then. But um, because they had because they had to get so many calories into food, and and um, they had a lot of leftover supplies from Northern Ireland and stuff that they needed to burn through at the time. Um, yeah, it was it was just just high calorie stuff. So like there, there was you know in the ration packs there was biscuits and chocolate and stuff like that, and in the and in the um, um, the actual meals. They were kind of packed full of fat and carbohydrates because you need the fuel and you're going to burn through it. So there's definitely there was definitely nutrients in there. So it was nutri probably you know some decent nutrition in there, but it wasn't super super nutrient dense. Because if you think about really nutrient dense foods, they're kind of a lot of them are quite calorie sparse, um, and you'd need to consume a significant amount of foods with real real nutrient density to get your calories in. So um, it wouldn't it wouldn't work in terms of having that in your in your burger because you'd need you instead of having one burger you know which is a backpack you'd need five <laughs> five thousand calories of um, like lettuce or something <laughs> yeah you'd <be> struggle <laughs> just get yeah a big field of it and that's in itself is ugh, god it feels horrible I'm trying to imagine eating that so regards yeah, of like sorry borderline Karen. back then that's okay I would say that borderline back then I probably had some sort of phobia around certain foods. Well, what sort of foods were they in particular? Was it a texture thing? Was it something you've... I don't know. To be honest, it was... It was I don't know. Smell was one of them. The smell of certain foods would make me feel physically sick. Um, I don't know. There was, lo there was lots of different... Texture as well. Um, any food with any type of sauce related to it used to make me feel very sick. And I'm not sure. Uh, and I'm not sure why... I'm not sure how it developed, and it was a it was a theme throughout when I was young, throughout my kind of whole childhood, um, and it probably explains why I was so skinny as a child. <laughs> I probably wasn't getting the nutrition I needed. Well, this is what I was going to sort of get to a little bit because it seems like 
you're that fussy, <laughs> what is there left to eat at that point? Oh, it can't have any flavour. It can't have this, but yeah. it needs to, can't be that. It can't be this. Just to eat um, cereal. Um, when this is this is when I was a y- younger cereal, um, cheese on toast, um, crackers and cheese. <laughs> cheese is not a problem. Yeah, I, I, I like dairy and and, <laughs> and gluten. I, I mean, so I think pasta maybe pasta. Um, the sea legs are getting furious now. Listen yeah, to this. Yeah, I know they're <laughs> having a breakdown. But yeah, I, I um, probably I had, I'd have some fruit, you know, and very minimal veg. Um, and some meats, plain meats, and sandwiches, that type of thing. But yeah, I was I was super fussy. Um, so you know, and nutritionists would be disgusted. Uh, they looked at my diet when I was a child. But thankfully, I've I've managed to rescue myself over the years. And so would you. So, regards of what was pushing you through, did you have like a chip in your shoulder going through the whole thing? Like, was your motivation purely for this is something I want to do, or is this something I shouldn't be able to do? What was your initial? So there, was a, there was a couple of things. There was something that I, I wanted to really do something that was challenging myself. I also had this kind of, I remember being at school um, during, I remember coming home from school actually, during, in, do you remember 9 11? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm coming home from school, 9 11, seeing the, you know, the, the, twin ta- the twin towers happen. And then I remember shortly after that, um, it was screened on, on TV a lot on Sky News. Um, the the initial invasion of Iraq, and the Royal Marines were heavily involved in that. I remember watching like you know I feel like I want to want to go out you know I want to go and do something like that to feel like I'm I'm contributing. So I, I was I was um, I was motivated by feeling to I want to do something good to contribute to society, um, but I was also motivated by do, you know to find a way to do that which was really challenging for me. Um, and yeah, that third motivation was, you know, I, I don't want to fail this because, you know, I, 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 I you know, I, and I've got, come on to realise that, you know, failure is not, not the, not the, not the end of the world in life. You know, it's probably a, a platform to learn, but um, I just didn't see any reason for me to fail. I knew that I had it in me to, to pass, and I just didn't want to go home and, and let myself down by not fulfilling my potential. I mean, that's a really interesting answer. The, sort of, the way you've led that as well, the sort of values of where these things came from, that wanting to help, the wanting to get stuck in, that feeling like you could be part of this. And also the restrictions aren't really there. It's such as I can do it. There's not an actual definitive reason. There's excuses, but there's not a reason why you couldn't be that. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to sort of get at, whilst you're having these ration packs, well, they're breaking them down as best you could. You, you start quite skinny and, you know, you're however many pounds wet what yeah. was your weight like that throughout your training like did you start ballooning out was it just yeah it's interesting i did i it's strange because um i did throughout training i did get heavier so i did put muscle mass on parts of my body probably a little bit of fat as well throughout training which is strange you wouldn't think you would but so i obviously was managing to get some calories from somewhere at some point so i think probably that i, I, I think back and look at it i remember the first part of training um where i was really really super fussy um and being 11 stone through that period and actually i, re- I remember going home after after a period of time and, and remember my friend saying to me oh god you look really ill um so I'd obviously at that point i'd lost a lot of weight um but by the end of training i was i was a stone and a half heavier than what i was at the start so i think as my my eating probably improved towards the end um 
and we had some leave pe- leave periods laced in between. We had Christmas leave and Easter leave. I think those periods helped me to to put some calories back in my body. Um, yeah, so I, I did get heavier towards the end, definitely. What was it initially like getting involved in stuff? Because what were you like socially like at school? Were you quite stuck in? Were you just cracked on with things? And also being quite a fussy and that kind of thing. Was there anything like that as well that would ever, I don't know, would you ever be excluded in any sort of way in that because of that? No, not not really. Um, I, I just, I was really quite, so I'm quite sociable. Um, well, I was more, so, I think I was more sociable when I was younger. I think as I, as I got older, I liked to crack on and do my own things. And but I've really got a good, I've got a big friendship group and always have done from school. Um, I've all, like I say, I've always been, um, I'm, I've always been confident, I would say, but I'm not, I'm not the loudest person in the room. If there's a big group, I'm probably one of the quieter people in the room. Um, I'm much, much better um, in smaller groups um, and in, you know, one-to-one. That's kind of where I'm really, I really get on, you know, I find that's my kind of perfect zone. In big groups, there's obviously bigger personalities. And I kind of let, I'm quite, really quite relaxed, actually, and quite chilled. So I'm happy to let other people um, dictate the conversation. And I I feel like sometimes um, when you're in those group settings, some things are better off not being said. And I, I tend to, you know, if I'm in a big group conversation, and I was probably like this at school as well, um, I'm only going to probably speak if I feel like it's worthwhile saying something. <laughs> if it really, if it's really worthwhile. Otherwise, I'll just keep my mouth shut. There is something to be said with that because I'm more than a victim of, you know, speaking for the sake of speaking, hence the podcast. Yeah. Here we are now. But, um, <laughs> but no, it does make sense having that kind of, that quiet confidence of saying things you mean and not just speaking just to be heard so we're not really asking this question it's more the camaraderie is always very prominent when it comes to the armed yeah. services and those kind of kind of those kind of groups how did you find finding your role in that because obviously when it comes to that kind of alpha male kind of testosterone yeah. area you're gonna have to i don't know yeah so yeah the, it. yeah it was, it was i mean it's, it's great really so when you when you're going through training with lads, you obviously build real close bonds with them because you're going through a lot of lot of hardship. It's tough, and also then when you then pass out of training, go to a unit, you're spending a lot of time with with people. You're living with them, you're socialising with them outside of work. You're going away on operations with them, exercises. So they become like family. Um, so yeah, you form really, 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 really close bonds, definitely. And um, yeah, I mean, I've always found that um, that doing having that type of uh, relationship with people really easy i'm I'm good at building relationships but i would say you know there are there were challenges in the armed forces we think when, when you first pass out of training you're you're a um what we, what we used to call people in the royal marines a sprog basically a baby so when you pass out of training you you get given all the shit jobs um you basically have you know you're you have to there's a period of time where you have to basically not necessarily but you are proving yourself to the lads basically making to make to make to basically prove yourself and to say, look, you know, this guy's a good guy and he's he's worthwhile spending time with that that type of thing when you pass out of training. So there is that type of period when you first, when I first passed out, I remember thinking, because you move away from all the lads that you're in training with, you go to this unit, you don't really know anyone. I remember thinking I was 17 at the time, young, and I looked a lot older. I probably looked, you know, mid twenties or something. And so a lot of a lot of people probably thought I was a lot older, but actually I was really quite young. Um, and um, I remember f- feeling quite. Um, yeah, 
quite it felt quite lonely at the start but once you get to know the lads and you know and you you build relationships with them and you show them that you're you know a good guy and you're going to work hard etc it becomes very very easy and obviously you know like any any job there's always going to be knobheads um in life no matter where you go um and that you know that's definitely the case in the armed forces albeit you know a lot of a lot of that ego stuff gets stamped out but it's always going to exist um you just don't spend your time with those people now regards of obviously joining the the royal marines the age you were it's still a very impressionable age i want to say and obviously being around these sort of people yeah even though despite being you know quietly confident knowing who you are and who you are in your own skin did you ever feel an urge or a, I don't know, a temptation to then fall into that, I don't know, that kind of laddish, a bit more outspoken, a bit more vulgar, not again, not who you are as such. Did you ever feel yeah, the definitely. need to try and... Uh... Yeah, definitely. And I've, I would be lying if I if I didn't say that it was a stage, um, probably maybe you know, the first couple of years after passing out where, you know, you become you know, overconfident maybe. Um, you've just passed one Marines training. You've just come back from Afghanistan. You, you know, you're with a group of lads that are all alpha males and you kind of, um, you become, you know, you feel like it's almost like when you go out on a night out with the lads, when you, when you're in the armed for- when you're in the Royal Marines anyway, I can't speak for any other armed forces and come back from these tours and you, you almost feel in- completely invincible, almost untouchable. Um, which, which is not the case. <laughs> Everyone's, um, but yeah, I'd say that you kind of you can get dragged 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 into that a little bit. Um, but you know, if you if you look at the ethos of, of the Royal Marines and how how you, you're trained and how you're taught to behave, etc., um, you are really around a, a really good group of um, hardworking, you know, lads that are um, that are not that are good people. You know, and and then that's the way you're taught to behave. That's the way you're trained to behave, and that's the way people do behave. Yes, lads do. You know, there's a lot of times where lads get carried away and have too many drinks and all that type of stuff. But, um, you know, who who doesn't in all walks of life? Um, but I'd say that as as a whole, um, we're fairly well behaved. <laughs> See, I'm mainly asking <laughs> as a very well thought out answer. It's more about your personal kind of transition with this, so that. I don't know, it's drifting away from who you are internally to then falling into this hierarchy, falling into this, yeah. I don't know, this fit and saying, okay, although I am, you know, confident there, or I don't have to be loud, I could, I know who I am. Whilst I'm in here, I'm Royal Marine Dale, I'm going to have to be, you know, the alpha when I'm out and all this kind of stuff. And one thing that's quite interesting when it comes to these like ranks and hierarchies and the structure of what I've found looking out looking inwards from you know i'm not gonna pretend i've got any kind of professional experience in this is just from things i've seen and people have spoken to it seems almost like you pass one stage of training then you're in this click where you're invincible but then there's another click on top of that and so on and so forth and then it just keeps on going in that and everyone's invincible but not quite invincible enough because the next stage is that more and it keeps going almost it's very strange yes certainly internally within within the hierarchy system now you're you pass you yeah you get to the end of training and you you're the top of the top of the um the the course you know you're you're right at the top and everyone's looking up to you and you you pass out of training and you go to your unit and you're right at the bottom again and then you're 
say for instance over, over a period of a couple of years you might become the more senior guy in your troop at marine level um but then there's obviously corporal sergeants color sergeants and stuff above you um yeah that hierarchy system does exist um like it exists in life but the difference is between military and civilian now the hierarchy system ex does exist in, in civilian world but it's under civilian law and obviously in, in military law you're um you're bound to to take the orders of your of your superiors um it's, it's you know that's an important part of military law so you um you you have to really respect um um or or set or certainly follow the advice of, of of your seniors again very um diplomatic answers <laughs> very good don't worry i'm not trying to like get part you to... time, part -time <laughs> diplomat Basically, i'm not trying to get you to say anything like controversial it's more just your well, I mean, I, to be honest when i was in it's interesting because i joined the war marines really young um done 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 my training went out done done my tours and stuff and left and left and i was still really young um and for a long period of time after that, I really moved away from kind of having any military ties and just moved on with my life. And probably the last few years, I started looking back at it and like, wow, that was actually really an interesting time that helped form the foundations of probably who I am um, and started to reflect on how, how useful the training was, how useful some of the adversity was, how useful some of the things, good and bad, that, that, we, um, that we were exposed to during that time. Um, and how you know how how good it was to have some solid foundations from training like discipline um um like you know basic basic standards like showing up on time doing you know trying your best all that type of stuff that's really really reinforced um, when you're in a military environment because it's expected of you um but actually really translates well into civilian life um, and normal life and you know and then can form the foundations of of going on to achieve whatever you want to put your mind to so um i'm really fond of my time in the armed forces although i wouldn't necessarily want to go and do it again it is really interesting that kind of transition as well the way you've matured with it you've grown with it and you accept it is a almost a foundation for who you are today instead of it is you know the glory days as such it is that was a very prominent point in your life and then you've taken that and okay okay that's the end of that chapter this chapter was very significant but now it's the next time in my life so talk to me post yeah. how come you left and what was your plan so at that point i'd always i'd always planned on leaving after a period of time i knew that i was never going to be a career marine and I, I, I knew that i wasn't going to do 22 years and um spend my whole life there so after i've done a couple of tours of afghanistan and been on exercises kind of all around the world i i ticked the boxes i needed to to for me to think okay i've done what i wanted to do when joining here um, and then I decided to leave. And when I was decided to leave, I wasn't particularly clear on what I wanted to do um, after I left. I just knew that I needed to move on to the next stage of my life. Um, and it was interesting because you talk about that kind of transition transition period. Now, the transition period from leaving the armed forces um, to becoming a civilian is a tricky period for a lot of people. Um, and some you know some people really 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 struggle some people are fortunate to land on their feet and 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 it all goes smoothly for them but i think probably the longer you stay in the armed forces the more tricky the transition transition becomes because i was young it was probably somewhat easier for me um to transition back into kind of civilian life 
Um, whereas if I'd stayed in for 15, 20 years, it might have been a bit more difficult. Um, but I remember um, this one occasion, I was still in the armed forces, I was still in the Royal Marines at the time, um, but I was on leave prior to leaving. And I, I basically had really left because I'd been, I'd, I'd left for a few months, um, but I had to go back um, for one week in, in September to um, just some formalities really to close things off and, and to officially leave. So I haven't officially left. I was still on the payroll and I was walking up the hill with one of, one of my friends, um, Bradges Hill and Luton. I was walking up the hill with one of my friends. We went, I think we were playing football. I used to play rugby with this lad and um, I was walking up the hill and remember I was still in the Royal Marines at this time and somebody called him and, and he was speaking to the person on the phone and the guy asked him, I'm not sure who he was speaking to, he's like, who are you with? And he says, oh, I'm with Dale, the ex-Marine. Now, that, yeah, I know, stinger, stinger. So that, that, was, um, that was a reality check for me. And it was weird because probably at that time, my and, and it did hurt a little bit, my, and I was thinking, oh, no, I'm still a Marine right? So at the moment. But my identity was really quite tied up in, in, in terms of what I did at that time. Um, so that was the first time I felt like, oh no, I'm not, I'm no longer part of this anymore. This, you know, this club, um, or I'm certainly not actively part of it anymore. Um, but then, you know, and then the next few months were probably quite, quite tricky for me. It was weird. It's, and I don't, I haven't really, I don't really speak about it too much. I speak, I spoke to people privately about it, but you go through a period of time where you kind of just lose your confidence, um, because you were, you know, you, you see yourself as one thing, as this, as this Royal Marine, you know, strong, fit, you know, you know, kind of alpha male going out there and, um, you know, doing a really good job. And, um, and then you, then you leave. And, and, and when I left and probably it didn't help my confidence, I, I wasn't, I was kind of in a transition period where I wasn't fully sure. I kind of had an idea what I wanted to do. I wasn't on the course yet or anything like that, but I wasn't fully sure if that was going to be was what I was going to do or if I was going to go and join the fire service or if I was going to, I don't know what I was going to do. So I was kind of, you know, ended up doing some, you know, some casual jobs here and there. And, um, and I, I quickly realized that, um, and it also at the time it was the, it was, it was in 2009 that I left and it was the back end. It was, it was just after the 2008 recession. So it was not, there wasn't any, there weren't any jobs going for people and it, you know, and, I realised that um, I was only 22 back by this point, um, and I was, so I was young. And I had, yes, I had this military experience and Afghanistan and stuff, but there weren't any jobs, and no one really gave gave, gave a crap really that I, I had this experience because I was young. And actually, you know, how how was my experience relevant to them at the time? And probably, uh, you know, I didn't know how to communicate the relevance um, back then, and that's probably something that's evolved over time. Um, but yeah, it was tricky. So I lost my confidence for a little bit, and it was a, it was a kind of gradual process of building that back up through fighting. I think so much to go into with this. <laughs> so when your quote unquote ex friend <laughs> says that to you, what was your initial thought? Was it being an ex marine? Does that mean what you've put in doesn't exist anymore, or does that yeah. mean you don't know who you are anymore? And to that then, who is Dale Hardman to you now? Being identity was such a massive point at that point. What? Who is Dale Hardman? So I think um, my identity at that, that time was very much tied into what I was doing. 
for to earn a living. Um, and to be honest, when you're when you're in the armed forces or Royal Marines, um, it is a lifestyle type job role. So you you are very much you know living that life of being a Royal Marine. Um, so yeah, when some when that when um, his name was Shane when he said that Ooh, um, yeah, I'm terrible. He cut, me Shane. Yeah, he cut me in half at that point. Yeah, when he said um, that. You know, ex-marine. He didn't mean anything by that. Of course, he's just he's just referring to me as you know Dale used to be in the in the armed forces. But that did cut me like a knife. And I thought, actually, you know, I'm not a marine anymore. You know, what am I? And, and kind of, it was probably that whole like, you know, what does my life mean at this moment in time? Um, probably the reason why I felt like my confidence dropped a little bit. Now, if I fast forward to now, um, my I suppose my. Um, what what you know? What's my identity now? I'm a I'm a uh, uh, homemaker for you know for my family. You know I'm a I'm a dad, um, so I'm a very much a family man, um, and I'm a business owner uh, uh, who likes to to exercise and yeah I don't I don't know I've not really thought about it to be honest I don't I certainly don't tie my identity down now to um, what I do day to day. Now that is exactly what I was hoping you'd say. It's not let you are yourself. You're not your achievements, and this is something so people get so one hundred percent. People get so hung up on it. Like you get in the fighting world all the time. Like, oh, I'm a world champion. What does that mean? <laughs> what What is a world champion? What does a belt mean? What does a trophy mean? What does a record mean? <laughs> the point. The problem is. I mean, if you. If you if you tie yourself down to you know your your identities based on what you've achieved in the past, the problem is that you can't. You may set yourself up for um, a kind of a miserable future because you can't always um, recreate those past moments. If you're a world champion boxer, say for instance, um, now you can be a world champion boxer when you're in your late twenties, early twenties, if you're super talented in your early thirties, you know, maybe, you know, there are some world champion boxers that can do it later. Um, but most people have a, a shelf life, um, in, in professional sport and you can't be a world champion boxer at 55. So if your if your identity is so heavily tied up into, you know, you're, you're a boxer, um, and you're a world champion and then you aren't able to then replicate that success later on in life. You, it's it can be very very tough, and you do see a lot of athletes that struggle after their careers because they they are heavily tied into their say they're a footballer, for instance, I'm a professional footballer. That's their identity, um, and when that's taken away from them, they don't have the support network from the lads and stuff like that. It can lead to um, some significant um, psychological problems um, and physical problems. So it, it is tough, but yeah, it's. I don't, I'm not going to say that, you know, this is all theory. I'm not going to say it's easy for people to, to, to not tie themselves down to their, to what they do day to day. I think lots of people do it. And, um, but it's, I don't think it would, it, it doesn't serve people very well long-term. There's so much to break into this as well. If you take into account, like fighters, for example, you'll see many people who fight long before, long after they should have retired because quote unquote, they're a fighter and that's all they know. And that's something they've set themselves up for. And again, you, this sort of identity thing is so toxic. If you say you work in a bank and then you are just, I don't know, Dan, who works in a bank, that is what you've then pigeonholed yourself into. Yeah. That, 
all those many years of being alive and everything else you've done, why is your current career the only thing you associate to yourself? And even then, no. who are you saying it for? <laughs> yeah, and also as well, I mean, it's, it's a strange thing because we all, we, everyone does it. When you meet someone, um, you might have a conversation with them and they might, you know, you might, you know, they might ask you what you do or you might ask them what you do. And it's kind of, it's a bit strange really that we kind of, we, we do that because I feel like a lot of people pass judgment on people based on what they do and not, and it's not, and it's not, and not by the, not by who they are, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if that was particularly clear. Oh, definitely. Cause say, if you say, okay, oh, nice to be, oh, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm, um, you say I'm a vet. You think, oh, they're quite a caring person. They care for animals. They're quite intelligent. Yeah. You've already assumed that. Normally yeah. those traits are already there, but you've already assumed that. And again, it, an occupation is a very like private thing as such. You wouldn't say, oh, what what shower gel do you use when you wash yourself in the morning? No, it's just a bit of a weird question to ask. But the fact you ask what they do day to day to support their families, why is that any less personal than that is? And why should it yeah, be any of their business? And, it's, and, and, and if you do ask that, you, you, know, you, shouldn't, you know, and you shouldn't be that person who then passes judgment on someone because of what they do. Because people make people do certain things for different reasons. So say, for instance, you know, I, I work for myself because I want to be fully in control of of my um, of my destiny as, as such, or, or and certainly my timetable, my schedule, that type of stuff. I like the flexibility. I'm gonna work hard anyway because that's just the way I. That's my lot. That's what I do. I like working hard. I enjoy it. Um, especially if, I, if I'm interested in something, it's going to be more, you know more likely that I'm going to work super hard at it. Um, but some people don't want to work for themselves and some people want to work for someone doing an easy job, right? Because what they value the most is time at home with their family or they value their relaxation time in the evening or they value a hobby. Um, so, you know, when people make judgments on people based on what, what they do, they, they're really they're really thinking quite very narrowly about um, and it, it, it typically it's um it's by people who are uh, it, it ends up being you know people that are judgmental and that judgmental or narrow-minded that um, that jump to all these assumptions. I think that's so significant. One thing you said that's really really important is where the value is assigned. What is yeah. the most important thing to you? If it's the income, that's one thing. If it's the yeah. hours, that's another thing. If it's your yeah. time outside of it, that's another thing. I mean, yeah. again everyone's got their own like codes of ethos their own sort of methodologies okay this is what's important to me i need to make sure there's a roof over my family's head yeah or i need to be happy in what i'm doing it doesn't matter if i'm just about getting by but if i like what i do yeah. that's the most important thing and no one's wrong yeah exactly <laughs> because everyone's got their own and and also as well i mean it's very easy to look at someone's life and be like okay um, and 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 judge them on their decisions but the issue, the big issue is about that is that we don't, we don't have any real context of their life at all because their, their, your past experiences and your, your, your va values, et cetera, are made up of everything you've experienced in your life. Now the person that's, um, lives across the road from you, they've got completely different values based on all of their experiences over time. So, you know, for anyone to pass judgment on, on other people, uh, unless obviously they're doing you know, heinous crimes, etc. But you know, for, for you know, for certain, if for, if you pass in judgment on people for certain decisions that they make, um, because you feel like you wouldn't make that decision. Now, um, you should people 
probably should have a little bit more empathy for uh, other people's um, situations and 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 why they make certain decisions first. I mean, ultimately, the thing to really take into account is it's none of their business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Why, also, why, why do you care? Exactly. Why, why would you care what someone else is doing? I don't understand. Exactly. I, I get if you're trying to, like, I don't know, learn from or take any reference about querying. So why do you do it that way? Like, that trying to be intriguing kind of, okay, I'm trying to emulate. Why do you do it this way? That's constructive. That's one way of doing it. Being nosy and judgmental has just been an ass. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, before we put the world to rights, let's um <laughs> go back to where we're at. So we've, you've just left the your now ex marine. What was your then point from there onwards about finding your feet? About yeah. So I was when I was leaving, I, I was trying to think of ways to keep me fit um, and active. So I started to do more combat sports during that time, um, a lot more kickboxing, grappling, and stuff like that. Um, and it and it was it, I used it as a means to keep fit, but also you know physically and psychologically fit. So you know push myself, you know clear my head, all that type of stuff. Um, and what sorry, what was the question? I, I can't I completely forgot what you said. It's not really a question. It's more just what your initial plan was. So now you've been identified yeah. as ex-marine. So I didn't now have, it's yeah, now so what? I didn't have a plan really as such. So what happened was I I, I was considering um, training to be an osteopath. Um, I was also considering to join the fire service at the time. Um, I also, you know, had started fighting at this point. Um, so I was kind of like, you know, thinking, what am I going to do? You know, short term, long term, etc. I was all a bit confused, really. Um, and I, I'd actually, um, you know, in in the back when I was leaving the armed forces, because I had at the time I had nothing. The, the I, I managed to like get onto this and it wasn't a plan long term i just like was like i have to do something short term so i managed to get onto this like part-time um electrical installation course that i was never going to do um but i was just doing it because i needed something to fill my time um, whilst i figured things out so i started doing that and i i went away to a um a fight show with um one of one of my um colleagues um his name's Matt Walker. He's an osteopath as well. We went, we went, we went away to a fight show and we we're in a hotel and we were talking about, about this type of stuff. What are we going to do with our life? You know, and he was a plumber at the time and I was, we were, and we were both considering because he thought about doing something like that, osteopathy or physio as well. We got discussing it and we both, be, and, that, and from that conversation, we've actually made the decision to actually apply. Um, and then we were on the course, you know, a few months later. So, it's strange how certain conversations then lead to actions because I was, we were both kind of considering it, but all, but hadn't spoke to each other about it. Um, and I was inspired by um, some guys that I was working with when I had a shoulder injury from playing rugby. Um, and they, I got speaking to them and, and they told me to come down and I was working from, for a long period of time because I really buggered my shoulder in, in a tackle. And they, they were saying to me, like, you know, you seem really interested in this and you're going to be leaving the armed forces soon. Are oh, you considering, you know, you should consider it. Come come and watch us and come and observe. So I did. Um, and they, and I was like, okay, well, actually, it's really, really interesting. So that was the reason why it was kind of, a, you know, at the top of my brain to kind of think about doing that type of type of um, uh, uh, training to, to become an osteopath. Um, but, yeah, the decision was made in a hotel room Um sitting next to one of the lads that we, you know, we went to have a fight. We fought the next day against another couple of guys from South End. Um, 
yeah, made the decision, got the got the course done, and that was the rest was history. So, from there onwards, like again, we'll jump around timeline just because it's easier. Yeah. So, you've then got done the course. What was your then like action from there? Is it like a you get a placement? Is it a set your own business up? What was the plan from so, there yeah. onwards? So, I mean, you're fast forwarding now, like five years from 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 that point. So. I mean, a lot's gone on in, in that period of time. So, oh, so sorry. So, what point were you doing this then? So, was this your first first um, MMA fight? Was this? So that yeah. So that was like one of my first first fights. I think at that point it was potentially um, I can't remember the exact fight it was, but one of one of my first MMA fights. Um, yeah, I can't remember which one, but yeah, it was right at the start. And then we, you know, whilst I was at university, we applied, and whilst I was at university, I had this kind of MMA career. Um, and then at about at 25, just before I was finishing uni, I decided to, I had to make a decision. Am I going to pursue a, career, a proper career and actually give it a, give it a proper go? Or am I going to do something that I thought to myself would be more beneficial for my health, for, um, my future family, for, um, my, um, just for my life in general, long term, um, certainly brain health anyway. Um, so I, I decided to 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 fully commit to my career as a as a um, osteopath um, at that point, and yeah. But the the training's interesting. You spend it's it's we you do a four to five years uh, degree. It's a it's a master's program. Um, you, know, you build up um, through the undergraduate st- syllabus and the final years the kind of master's element. Um, lots of clinical work. Lots of placements. Um, so when you when you qualify as an osteopath, you are essentially ready to go. Although you do need probably some mentorship, depending on who you are. And I, whilst, whilst I was an osteopath, whilst I was training as well, I, I did a in the first year I did a sports massage therapy course. So I was able to then do a load of other courses throughout my training. And I was kind of working as a pseudo osteopath during that time. You know, as I was learning more, I was able to offer clients more. So when for so when I was when I was actually qualified, I, I worked in London shortly, but then I then came straight home and set up a practice um, because I'd already built up four and a half years experience of treating patients. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a busy time. <laughs> there was a lot going on, training, fighting, you know, courses, working. Um, and then, yeah, but then I feel like I'm, I'm best when, it, when I'm busy. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I just checked your topology whilst you were saying this, and there are some names on there. I don't know why we didn't start with this, because <laughs> this is some very interesting names that you've um on your record, and so a few of them are in the UFC now. Yeah, and I love how at no point was this mentioned. At no point was this like, <laughs> all right. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, yeah. the whole everything, the thing you've just described there, your whole journey through osteopathy, I can't even get osteopathy, osteopathy, yeah. some words, and then this is what everything else. I mean, the balancing act is incredible. Yeah, I know. I just like, I don't know. You don't I like things like, being easy, do you? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> My uh, fiance talks to me about it all the time. She's like, you don't, you don't make things easy for yourself. But I feel like, um, I feel like I'm most useful when i'm when i'm continually challenged i feel like what what can happen is and 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 many people probably fall into the same trap is that when i'm not stimulated 
I can then get complacent. So I need to always find a way to stimulate myself to keep pressing forward, keep learning more, keep doing more, grow, growing as a person, growing as a <clears throat> um, as an osteopath or <clears throat> whatever, as a dad, whatever I'm doing at the time. Um, and I feel like if I'm doing that, then I'm living as the best I can for me. Um, and yeah, it, it does mean that I uh, I do probably. I mean, I can't speak for anyone else, but I probably feel like I work quite hard compared to some people. Um, but I'm I'm sure there's plenty of people that work harder than me. It's so modest as well. Here we are. I mean, let I, I'm trying to just get my head around everything you've sort of talked about so far. It's incredible. And again, it's my real question now is now what's going on now then? Because obviously you've been making things so hard for yourself, trying to develop as best you can in all different elements. <laughs> For things to then quieten down without what's your current like thing? Can we jump around timelines again but again it's more yeah. just so where we are where we are at the moment then so we're now two months into lockdown um so we're i'm at home at the moment working from home um i have been seeing patients um virtually during this period um but i've been because we've had you know we haven't had as many patients as what we know we, i'm super super busy clinically um normally what i've been able to do is spend a lot of time planning and putting things in place for um for moving forward so as part of my practice we have um you know a few team members that work work with me um but we also we're in the process of opening up a second location just before this happens so what that's at the moment and that's within a, a gym uh, in hitchin so at the moment that's on pause until that gym can get up and running again um so we're, at the moment, we're kind of in a period of, I've had a chance to speak to some people. I've had an opportunity to recruit some some osteopaths, which is good, um, which is helpful. I've also had an opportunity to work on some of the some of the other projects that are part of what I do um, with Hardem Performance, but um, they are not necessarily in the Hardem Performance office. They're very much um, involved in, in healthcare, musculoskeletal healthcare, but we have with me and another uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Matt Walker, we have a, a separate company which is um, called Back to Business, and it's basically a corporate health care company. Um, and uh, yeah, so ba- based in based in London, we're working with some businesses in London, um, which we we were building up before this, and which we're planning to to really build on after this. Um, although we've had to pivot slightly the way the way we're doing it because of what's going on. Um, but yeah, I think that during this time, I've I've realised that I love being an, love being an osteopath, I love seeing patients. But I've always had the um, the goal has always been in place that I scale back my clinical practice, um, help mentor and build a team, um, who, so then we're able to help a lot more people. Um, but I'm not necessarily doing all of the helping. Um, so you know what what we do at Hard Performance, you know we have. You know, when we recruit, we you know bring our, our uh, osteopaths or sports massage therapists, whoever it is, for a period of training. We're trying to get them all on board in the way we're thinking and the way we help people. Um, almost trying to create mini mini me's sort of. You know, it's not particularly easy, um, but we're trying to create people that kind of think and um, work with clients like like I would, so that then we can help a lot more people because I'm very my time's limited. So. Um, so that's the way I see it going. And over the next period, I'll step step back slightly more clinically. I'll still see patients, 
just not as many. Um, and we're going to build a team and scale up and sort of start kind of spreading across the region. So we're in Luton, um, opening up in Hitchin, and then there should start to, you should start to see over the next few years other locations pop up. Um, and I'm 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 going to be honest about this. Obviously, there's going to be some economic um, uh, stuff going on in relation to what's what's happened recently in the the coronavirus. There's going to be a probably a big economic spill out, but I'm not going to let that um, disrupt my plans. Now, one thing I really wanted to pick your brain about. Obviously, this business is your baby. This is something you've started. This is something your name's literally on. Yeah. How do you feel when it comes to getting other people on board and letting go and letting them have, you know, free reign? It's, <laughs> it's tough. Um, it's not easy. I think, you know, it's weird because I, I, when I when I set the business up, you know, naively called it, named it after myself, self-righteous. Um, <laughs> Creative. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I mean, literally my name is, is above the door. And... Um, I feel like I've spent uh, a large portion of well, my whole life building up a personal reputation, um, as you do, as you you know, people get to know you for your character and who you are and stuff like that over a period of years. Um, and certainly, there is that when you when you set up a business and you have to let go of some of these areas and other people are kind of representing you. Um, I'm not going to lie; I, that's probably one of the things I found the most challenging about running a business. Um, letting go of and feeling like oh maybe i could have helped that person slightly differently or slightly better or you know and and but what i've come to realize is that um i can't i can't save the world um i'm only one person and um we i I want to have a, a a slightly bigger impact of our business and i know that if i don't let go of certain areas then that we're not going to have the, we're not going to be able to help the, the amount of people that I want to be able to help. Um, we're not going to have the impact that I, I want um, or, or desire. So I, I need to sometimes, and I, I've had to have conversations with myself about this, about getting out of my own way. Now, regards again, timelines again. So appreciating something's got to give at some point and appreciating, you know, if you want to expand, there's only one Dale Hardman. <laughs> so we need to find out, you know, make other <laughs> versions and variants of. And I say variants very clearly because it's meant to be not the same. Same, now, yeah. And yeah. now on top of that, when you were fighting competitively MMA, some of the best in the UK, how did you find, I don't know, what point did something have to give for you to try and build this, I can't, I can try and say it again, osteopathic so journey different. oh look at that i did it first time osteopathic journey was whilst good. also Nailed being it, a, i can say i obviously i'm professional don't i <laughs> so also appreciating you know mma for what it is you've got to be all in or all out what was your real turning point yeah i kind of had a um i had an injury of my hip which i needed to have surgery um and I had surgery and it took me a while to, to rehab after that. And it took me, it probably took me a couple of years really to get um, quite solid on it enough to kind of go back and be competitive. And I think um, at that point or during that period, I started to slowly make the decision that actually 
you know, do do I actually want to, and do I want to be in them? Is this a career I want to have? And, it, and it's interesting because I look back now and I was like, oh, I wish you know it would have been good to have a few more fights or make, maybe get them UFC gloves or something like that. You know, after after a period of time, but um, I was 25 when I let me just close this. I was 25 when I um, when I stopped fighting or 26 maybe, um, and I. If I think about my body now, now my body's in pretty good nick, um, considering I used to fight and I was in the Royal Marines and so I trained a lot. Um, I've, I, you know, I my career was short. I didn't take a lot of damage in my career, um, and I have at the moment full, um, so, um, permanent problems from fighting. So I feel like I made the wrong the right time um but it was it was a slow choice and a difficult one and i would like i'd be lying if i didn't always have that uh to just go back in there and do it one more time and this is one thing you said that i'm really i don't know impressed with is how good nick you are now because initially when we started this conversation and you were saying about how much you weighed and what the more robberines takes for you to do like training wise the Bergen yeah. runs and all that kind of stuff, like the amount of wear and tear I would have expected you to have had. But the fact you know you're, yeah. you're all right is, is pretty good going, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly have, um, you know, this, this certainly I'm not perfect. <laughs> There's injuries there. I've had surgeries um, or had one surgery on my hip, I had a hernia repair on my groin as well. Um, so, you know, I am a bit more beaten up than probably um, than some people, but I'm also physically very fit and strong. Um, and I'm also in a very good profession to understand how my body responds to certain things and, and, and what type of training is more beneficial for me, what type of training um, you know, I, I don't necessarily have to avoid, but what, what I can include less. Um, so I can keep myself in a really, really good nick because I have the, the knowledge to be able to. Now, if I, if I, was, if I didn't have any of the, the knowledge that I've managed to acquire from doing you know in terms of what i'm doing professionally um i might feel a little bit more beaten up than what i am because i have done some some fairly challenging stuff over the years and um there is there is somewhere in tear there um but i know that it's um i'm always going to be best served um keeping moving and um keeping loading up the tissues keeping them strong that's going to be my best um best method to keeping keeping all the tissues healthy and in regards of your training in MMA itself, because coming from the Marines background of, you know, 100% all the time, past the point of exertion, intentionally trying to break you down, how did you find, I don't know, training smart? Because also it wasn't in a in the evolved era of performance as it is now, of training smart and not right. burning out. So how did you find that? There was no smart, train, was no smart training back then. Um, that was, it, it was very much um, go down the gym, um, work your ass off, train multiple times a day, um, spar very, very often. Um, the good, the thing is, it's interesting. I, I, I left the armed forces and I, I, I couldn't fight really. I could, I could do a little bit, um, but I was, I was pretty rubbish really. But I was physically fit. I was physically strong, um, and I had a, a, a good mindset. I was mentally tough, and those you can't you can't underestimate how useful those attributes are um, when, when you're, when you're in, when you're trying to learn how to fight now. So I, I may be, you know, certainly at the, to be honest, in fact, throughout my whole career, I would say 
I was probably less. It's, there's two. There's two parts to this. I was probably less skilled, um, but certainly in the early parts of my career, I was probably stronger than some of my opponents because I'd been in the Royal Marines and I basically only just lost the weight because um, I'd, I'd gone from being kind of probably at that point 95 kilos to then fighting at 77 and 70. So I'd, I'd, I was strong at that point. But as my career went on, I dropped a lot of the resistance training and focused purely on the fighting. So my, my combat skills improved a lot. Um, and but um, but then my physicality, I think I was fit. I was fit specific to sport, but I think my strength decreased if I if I if I'm honest about it because I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't doing any strength conditioning. Um, I was just training to fight. Um, but I think the reason why I was able to have some relative success was initially that I was strong and fit um, and had a good mindset, um, but also that I'm quite clever. So I'm I'm. I'm a good problem solver. So I kind of could work my opponents out. If you watch my fights, there's a lot, you can see me thinking going on. I'm not overly committing. I'm certainly not getting myself, or I didn't used to get myself involved in, in tear ups and, um, and go punch for punch. That wasn't my style of fighting. Um, and then to the late, the later, the later part of that, I got a lot more skillful um, and I was being more clever, but I lost some of the physicality and probably, probably that, you know, I probably needed that at that point. And but I would say uh, throughout my whole career, even the fights that I've won and, and lost, all of my opponents were more experienced than me. All of them were probably better martial artists all round than me. I was just, it's, and it, it just doesn't always come around to that. There's other, there's other factors at play. It's like, can you show up on the day and, and, and perform? And, you know, can you, um, can you use your game plan and and figure out a way to make it work against them? Um, and I think having experience in the in the Royal Marines and, and my background, um, being in those kind of high pressure environments definitely helped. Um, so there's probably guys that were better than me when I was fighting, but they maybe weren't able to perform as well because they maybe weren't as good at dealing with pressure, or they maybe they weren't. Um, as good at adapting to certain situations. I'm not sure. Like, now, one, one part of that I thought was really interesting was you touched on the fact you weren't a brawler as such. You'd get in there, you'd be meticulous, you'd think about what you were doing, you'd plan it out. Whereas one of my friends, Danny Mack, you thought, <laughs> he... Um, he had a very different approach it was more um he was physical and he just got stuck in and i thought it was just quite funny that transit they both have the same amount of information almost but the way you've dealt with that and you know it's relative success like you both had as well i mean he was yeah. telling me he used to get techniques out of like magazines <laughs> like i'm not sure what was yeah. your um coaching like right. at that point what was the level of i don't know i i, I it's interesting I, I kind of my striking coaching was good um, I had a really good, solid striking team. Um, but in terms of grappling, I just had kind of natural flair for it. I learned a lot of stuff. Um, before, it, we used to mess around when we were in the Marines, grappling with each other. And, you know, we'd do some training sessions with each other and we'd learn some, some unarmed combat techniques and stuff. None of them really that helpful for mixed martial arts. But it kind of gets you to understand about body mechanics and, you know, how to use the body and stuff like that. Um, but then the, in... Then there's like the, the UFC video game. Do you, do you remember the, yeah. the UFC one, the first one? 
um, and the UFC itself, just watching, right, observing things and techniques, how they're done. You can learn so much. So I remember when I when I first started training properly in mixed martial arts, and I was doing techniques that no one's ever taught me. I just basically had learned how to do them from either playing a computer game or by watching watching fights, um, and I was just trying them. And I was like, oh, actually, I can do this. I can pull it off, blah, blah, blah. I would say that I never really had any formal um, grappling coaching. I done, I done, um, I done some. Um, I'd go, I'd go and spar people. I'd, I'd attend some classes, but if you, um, in my in my whole career as a MMA fighter, I probably only ever attended um, probably ten BJJ gi classes, which would be like your foundation of grappling for a lot of people. Um, I do. I used to do a lot of no gi, but it used to be integrated, which is like um, grappling without, which was just with your t-shirt and shorts on, whatever. Um, but I would do. Um, it would be more in relation to MMA, so it'd be strikes involved. So I was. I, I just was figuring out. I used to watch a lot of videos um, at the time. There were, and also bearing in mind back then, there was just wasn't the level of. Um, of but now you've you, like and we and i end up grappling with some really good guys and being some good guys and stuff like that and you know being black belts and stuff in, in mma fights but um at the time in the uk you probably have to travel quite far to get really good coaching for for certain um disciplines now um it's available everywhere now, now you can you know if we, i think about in in luton there's there's five black belts and at the time um, when I was competing, there was zero. So now nowadays we're spoiled for choice of where we can train. Back then you kind of had to travel a bit further, and I just did. But I, I, most of the time I was traveling for sparring rather than than tuition. I mean, this is always really interesting when you hear like guys who are in the like the birth era of like MMA and UK MMA is the amount of traveling you do. Like if you know um was it Tom Barlow used to say he used to drive up to Birmingham and down to wherever and all these different places just to like get training in and you just hear all these stories of people tra traveling miles and miles and miles just to like get any kind of skillful training like to find yeah. a blue belt would take at least a couple hours to drive or something whereas now there's yeah, one every 100%. like yeah that's what it was mental. like it was it was crazy um and but you know like a, 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 and remember a lot of, I could think about a lot of the guys from back then and I think about the guys that I used to fight on shows with you know fair place a lot of the guys that stuck at it and continued their career they went on to do really really well and have good careers so um you know some people um you know it's not there's no guarantees you're gonna be a a, a ufc fighter but um it's a it's a hard graft out there you know there's a lot of com competition but um yeah i mean if you think about the, the the foundations that some people have and what they went on to go and achieve it's phenomenal really do you feel you're trying to fill that void with your current career now in the sense of you mentioned that oh you'll be lying if you say you didn't think about what could have been do you think yep. you're trying to overcompensate a bit with what you're doing now to make up for that mm, no I, th I think they're completely different to be honest i mean i um the probably the only reason i now wouldn't compete um is because i have children um you know, I'm still I'm still young enough to compete. I can get myself fit enough. It'll probably take me a year to be to get to competition ready. I'd say a year of solid training because I would need you know at least to lose some weight <laughs> um, and I would need to um, 
um, get sharp again and, and etc and then learn some new skills as well but um, no I don't, I don't think so I think they're completely different I think what I've moved on um, from that part of, part of my life but I do look back and I think you know I, 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 it's weird I, I always talk to my fiance about this as well I chose the the best life for me and what I thought was going to be my best option um, at the time and I, I'll stick by that option um, but I always, I always kind of like wish I could live like three lives at one time, <laughs> and could I, if I could, if I could try this one and do this one at the same time, and and I'd be able to split myself, then, then yeah, it would it would have been cool um, being able to do certain things. But I remember being at the, um, this is one one of the things before I before I stopped fighting, I was at the um, the fighter tryouts in in London, and. There, and I remember thinking to myself, like there was loads of lads there, and I, I had done really well there. I ended up getting getting through to the kind of final eight and done all my medicals and stuff like that. And I just just missed getting on the show. Um, and I remember um, thinking about everyone there, and there were some lads that come down from up north, and I know, I know them really well. Um, and they'd um, they stayed in a in a they're kind of up. Well, they'd broken into a school, but they stayed in. They rather than staying in the hotel, they stayed. And this was in London. They come from Doncaster way. They stayed in a school. I don't know how they got in the school. They stayed in some sort of school hall, but I assume that they found their way in somehow and slept there, and then left first thing in the morning. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, these guys really want this, and and I remember thinking about myself and thinking, I don't. I've just, I've just, I've just fallen into this, and I'm actually quite good at it, and I'm enjoying it, but it's not what I want with my life. So, and that was before, before I, I ended up, um, um, stop, uh, you know, stopping to com- stopping com- competition. So, um, yeah, I definitely made the right decision. I mean, the reason I sort of asked that is because when you talk about your Royal Marine times, yeah. you almost closed it very, I don't know, contently. That this was the end of that chapter. This is, you know, happy, cool, move on. Whereas then they had a bit of almost a, oh, what if, or, you know, they almost like a cliffhanger kind of thing. Yeah. And then you were saying about, your, I'm going to try and say it again, osteopathy. Okay, that's it again. Here we go. That, Nailed it. <laughs> get a little um, tick box every time I do it. But that, that this was like, you know, it was almost a crossroads. And I don't know that whichever one you chose, you'd, regret not doing the other so i don't know it came across a bit differently if you see what i mean yeah i think to be honest and i, I do look back at it and I'm, I'm i'm and i have moved on from it and i but it's, it's one of those things that i i, I did enjoy fighting I, I liked it and and it was um it was a really really fun time we you know used to get to go and you know travel around the uk fight in really big arenas um on, on tv it was, you know, if I get some really good people, I've got to watch some of my opponents and, and training partners and stuff like that go on to to fight um, on, on good shows and um, fight some really, really good names and stuff. Um, so I, I, I look back at that period in my life really fondly um, as a, like a real happy period and also a real period of it was fun and it was exciting and it was... Um, it was just an it's just a, a interesting period of my life so um but i also know that you know i've moved on since then and you know if i was to go back and compete it's not 
it's a, I'm in a different period now of my life. Now, back then, I was with my fiance um, um, now, but we didn't have kids. You know, we had no mortgage. We were living with parents, all that type of stuff. Um, and it was uh, a bit more of a, a period of time where, you know, we could, you know, it didn't matter what we were doing because we didn't have any real commitments. So, but now, um, my real focus is making sure that um, my children are looked after and provided for and that they have a good life. So, um, and I, and if I was to, and I, I, like I say, I'd be lying if I didn't think, oh, give, give it another fight. It would be fun to get back in there. But always in the back of my mind, there would be that, you know, but what if I'm unlucky and I get hurt? Um, and I think that is probably the, the thing that would stop me from, from going back and, and competing. It almost goes back to what we were saying near the start about where you assign that value and that your value used to be assigned from, I don't know, that's title and that status and then, I don't know, the enjoyment of what you were doing and then having, I'd say the the, the consequence and the risk kind of thing, the responsibilities, all these kind of things when it wasn't on the radar, you could take the risks, you could have, you know, yeah. give it a go and see what happens. But now you've got these commitments, you've got things you can't, the risk gets even greater and the reward isn't really worth it in the same sense like you hear stories about michael bisping trying to get in the ufc like he's driving like sleeping in his car and all this kind of stuff and the, yeah. the things people will put themselves through to get to where they really want to be and again if you're not all in in the same kind of way like oh it'd be nice to instead of this is my calling it's a very different conversation yeah but it's good that I mean, you're I, I, aware I, about oil and not like yeah you know, i think i think it's complex for everyone and, and I, I do fully understand why people end up um go, you know retiring then going back retiring then going back or dragging on their careers um too long because um i don't know there's something about being in there and uh, the experience and and what what it can give you as a person and also working towards uh, a quite a, a challenging goal and achieving stuff like that that's that's attractive and um it's not always easy for people you know for most for most fires you know, myself included it's not easy to hang your gloves up and say look i know i need to move on now with my life so yeah but definitely for me uh, i'm definitely in a different different part of my life if i'm if i'm fully honest with myself and um, that 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 would i would i just couldn't uh it's really strange i could see myself in there but i, re I really i would think that would be the wrong choice for me well, that's it. You'll be doing it for the wrong reasons at that point, and it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. regards of what you're doing now, like you're working with quite a few like fighters at some very high levels. Like, didn't you yeah. work with um Jordan Reynolds, yeah. who's now professional boxer and was um Team GB? Yeah, yeah. So we've been working with Jordan for for about four years now. Um, so, um, we took we've helped him with quite a few injuries, but basically, but you know, but then he was at GB, but we were working with him when he comes back. But now, yeah, certainly. Um, Jordan's been um, we've been involved in Jordan's career for a long time now, um, helping him with injuries um, and with a whole host of other stuff um, related to his training, um, and also some other fighters as well. But yeah, Jordan's certainly very exciting um, because um, <clears throat> he's got a really good amateur pedigree. He's an exceptional um, um, athlete with a with a really 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 good mindset. And I remember when I first met Jordan. Um, and I was talking to him about fighting and training and stuff. He was 
I'm going to say he was 18 or 19 at the time. He was young. And it really stood out to me that how, you know, how his thinking was well, be well beyond his years and how mature he was um, in, with his mindset. And, and, and that's when I knew that I you know, wanted to make sure that we, we stayed with him and, and helped him through some stuff and, and worked with him and, um, and, and able to help him get to where he wants to go with his career. Now, he's about to enter a really exciting time um, whenever this all ends and they can get back and start competing. And now he's turned, turned pro. Um, but certainly he'll be, I can see him being, you know, certainly British champion within probably a year of, of competing professionally as a boxer. Um, at European level, Commonwealth level type thing within within you know 18 months, two years, um, and then you know he needs to make sure he keeps his evolution up, and, he's, and which he will. He's very very hungry, and he knows what he wants as as, as a boxer. And we're building um, a real good team around him, and um, he's got his boxing part, you know, coaching sorted out as well. And he so he's building a very very good team that are going to help him help him move forward. Um, well, I can see him doing really good things in the sport, and 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 I, I couldn't um, want any more for him. I'd, I'd I'd love to see him, um, you know, realise his dream and, and and get a world title one day. Now, one thing you said at the start there was you're impressed with his sort of maturity and what he was saying. Now yeah. you'll get every Tom, Dick, and Harry come in the gym and say they want to be the next X, Y, and Z. What what kind of things was he saying that really impressed you? I don't know if there's anything. <clears throat> specific um he was he just seemed to have a really good outlook on <clears throat> on on it, i'm not sure i'm not sure what it was a, a really good outlook on training um he knew he, he had a focus on, on what he wanted to achieve and where where he's his path um, and what he needed to do to get to this, that that point and at the point that when he was when we first started working with him this was before um, <clears throat> before GB, before he was boxing for England, even. Um, so he was kind of a local level am level amateur person with really, really big dreams. Um, but I just had that sense from him when he was talking that he was going to make sure that he'd done everything in his power to to get to where he wanted to be. And I've been around um, a lot of athletes over the years. Um, in, in combat sports settings and in other settings as well through work. Um, and he really stood out to me. Uh, it was something about what he was saying. I'm not sure what it was, what the conversation was, but I was like, oh, wow, okay, this, this, this kid at the time has really, really impressed me with his, with his uh, mentality. And I, just, and I think he was reading a lot of books and, at the time around mindset. And I can't really remember what the conversation was, but something stood out to me and I was like, okay, well this, I know this kid's going to, going to go on to, 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 um, um, do exceptional things. And since then he's, you know, he's come on leaps and bounds as a boxer and matured into a, into a, a really decent young man, um, who is, um, who is a role model to, 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 to a lot of people in, in the community. Um, and he is going to, he's, he, he's going to go on to, and he's bat battled through some, some quite, uh, nasty injuries during this period um, that injuries that potentially end boxers careers um, and he's if it's that psychological part in, inside him whatever that internal driver that's pushing him forward um, that allows him to go on and and, and overcome um, and then you know keep achieving and keep pushing 
um, and he's gonna he's gonna go far definitely. I mean, you touched on him being a role model. I mean, it's definitely something I think people need to see as well because normally what happens is people get categorised into you know the heel, the kind of arsehole, like they're funny, they're trash yeah. talking, they're that kind of you know glorified. You get the the people who are good, the unsung kind of who are a bit quiet, a bit more reserved. Whereas Jordan, he's got that personality. He's has fun. He does his. Is Charleston dance or kind of? I'm not sure what dancing is, but he has. He does his dancing. He's got a personality. You see on his Instagram, he's having fun and he's got energy. Yeah. And to be, you know, respectful as well, keeping that same kind of energy. I mean, what more do you want? I mean, yeah, <laughs> someone who's motivated, uh, someone's enthusiastic, someone who's passionate, and then getting yeah. the results as well. I know, and he's in. And what what so that when I think that probably anyone that meets him and, and knows him personally, um, he's the sort of person you when you when you know him you really want to get behind him, um, and I feel like probably you know that's the reason why he's he's people have really shone to his personality when he on on social media and stuff like that um, because he is really actually really just a real nice guy you know he's a real nice person with with big ambitions but. He's not just got big ambitions. He's really willing to put in a lot of work. And during this period, you know, you probably don't really, not many people would see it. He is posting some pictures of him training and stuff like that. He's putting in some really solid foundational work um, to get his body ready for when it when it when it needs to be ready, and also just to vet to develop physically. Because what what happened is, uh, over the period of time him being at GB, he's had some injuries and. Um, we've been able to um, patch him back up and get him moving, rehabbing and stuff like that. But we're in a position now where he's injury fit, injury free. And what we've done is we've put, um, so we've got a couple of um, team members from a, a local facility near, near us that we've teamed up with um, Lisa and Dean from Rock. And we've been able to basically put a, uh, some training in place for him to start to build some really good, solid athletic fundamentals um, that actually he was missing because um, because of the training he's been doing. And, and, and in the amateur world, because you always have to be ready, you don't get to have fight camps and stuff because you could be fighting you know, two in two weeks' time, one week's time. Now we, we can put um, his, we can structure his training. So there are camps. There is a lot of progression. So what should you should see over the next couple of years is that he physically matures. You'll probably see a little bit more muscle mass. He'll become more leaner. He'll be more mobile, faster, stronger, more powerful, um, and you strap that on top of his, um, and 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 that will help with injury prevention, of course. But it's also going to, if you if you put him into a, a boxing situation, what we're doing is is getting him ready for um, world level. So when he when he gets to that point, his body is there, ready to to um, you know physically fit enough, strong enough, uh, robust enough, and then it's just making sure the boxing's there, which it is. You know, he's now going to be working under Peter Taylor, which is Katie Taylor's dad, who 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 trained her for her her whole life before they separated a few years ago. Um, he's going to be training in Dublin under under him. Um, he's it's going to be it's going to be really good to see. I can't wait to see it, to be honest. Now, regards of your services to him. Yeah. How involved are you in that then? So, are you more the rehab prehab? Are you the bike camp organization, the nutrition as well? How, what extent do you get involved with his specific training? So, not involved in his his training as as such whatsoever. So, in terms of um, he's got his boxing specific training. What you know, I've helped to 
put together the team for his strength and conditioning, um, his physical um, um, movement, mobility, um, just just basically building some solid foundations ready for him to get to get get ready um, to compete at a high level. I'm also very much the the rehab person, so. Um, you know, I'm involved in here. If he gets injured, let's let's rehab it. Let's get him back. But also the now we now that I'm able to. Previously, it was kind of just from a rehab standpoint. But now that I'm able to to put a team in place for him, which we have done. Um, now it's uh, we are looking at how do we um, help his body to mature physically over a period 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 of time to prevent injuries and pr- improve performance. So that's that's where I I come in. Um, and we're we're working collaboratively collaboratively with um, Lisa and Dean to to achieve that. So we're all kind of communicating between parties, sharing knowledge, sharing information, um, and you know, with and also with Jordan. Nutrition is not really where where I come in, although I did do a nutrition course um, a few years ago. But um, that's a that's a separate field. But I feel like you know probably needs specialist attention. Um, but we're making sure the team's there, um, and and I'll be in, you know involved for many other reasons as well. So I think the for an athlete to you build a relationship with an athlete over a period of time, um, and you have to it has a real strong trust relationship. And you know, Jordan, Jordan, I've, I've, me and Jordan have that kind of close relationship where Jordan can come to me with pretty much anything. And we can we can discuss it, and because because I've been there and competed, um, and I help help a lot of athletes and stuff. Um, he's I'm, I never ever want him to take what I say um, directly and just apply it, but he can he can he can take my advice and and consider it strongly because um, he knows that I've got the best interest for him based on my my experience with athletes and with um, my own personal experience. So. Um, yeah, so we have a great relationship from that standpoint. Something you've just said then, I think is very interesting to go back to what we were talking about earlier, as you building that relationship with the athlete and also back to trying to give off that responsibility to other people within the sort of team and everything else. That must be so, even more difficult in that. So say, I don't know, you're off for whatever reason. Who are you going to give your responsibility to Jordan to try and make sure he has the same level of commitment at that sort of point then it must be so tricky when it comes to that to try and it's well, not I think, I think well, with, jo- with jordan i'll you know i'm all, uh, i'm always going to be the person who is the um you know, head of prehab um rehab with him so fight you know now that we can we can do it you know at gb it was difficult because he was away all the time and also they were kind of dictating a lot of stuff that he did now now that we can do it now i will be there fight week with him fight night all that type of stuff um and obviously he's going to be working in ireland so we'll be watching i'll be speaking to him you know weekly discussing what he's doing all that type of stuff um we can we now that he's turned pro we can work much 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 closely much more closely with him and we already have been doing that um but he's one of those athletes that you can give him a bit of guidance and he's going to run with it and he's going to make sure he's going to get it done so you don't have to certainly don't have to hold his hand um, he's self-motivated. So if he's working away in Ireland, you, you, if you, if I say to him, look, you know, I'd like you to work on this. This is going to be important. Blah blah blah. Um, he's going to get that done, um, and in in an efficient way. And um, so next time I speak to him, we can we can definitely progress. So 
um, yeah, it's exciting times for everyone. It's going to be good. But like you say, I think, you know, yeah, you certainly, when you've got a, you've got a good relationship with someone and um, you're, you, you're invested in their outcomes, you want them to, you want to see them do really well. Um, yeah, there probably is that kind of, oh, I don't want to pass this person on to someone who, who might not have that same relationship, may not be as invested in the outcomes. But um, the team we're building, um, everyone's singing off the same song sheet. So everyone's on board with trying to um, bring Jordan on as, 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 um, as best as possible and and so and, and in line with what he wants to achieve and in, in his best interests definitely i mean that, that was the real point of this this kind of having that confidence in the people around you so that if it comes to having to you know pass up not say pass for lack of fair choice of words you know allocate this person to someone else to look after and deal with them that you put all this time invested and you have that confidence in them to then do it's really important so regards of your business now what sort of athletes do you cater for is it all shapes and sizes is it specific sports what's your usual remit yeah so i would say that um 80 of our clients would fall into the following categories so probably you've got athletes of all shapes and sizes but people you know people from um you know recreational athletes to casual gym gym goers to just people who like to do some cycling and stuff at the weekend all the way up to kind of elite level type um, athletes who compete professionally in sports um and most of our demographic would fit into that 20 to 55 range so we don't have a lot of patients that we work with um or clients we work with above above 55 although we do have some maybe um maybe 20 percent of our clients are either unactive or um or don't train or a bit older, but most people fit into that, their training, you know, a lot of, uh, maybe 80% of those aren't, aren't elite athletes, you know, they're, you know, or, or, or competitive athletes. They're just training and they're playing the sport and they want to keep fit, healthy rehab, prehab, etc. cetera. Um, and then there's that, that percentage of, 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 of our clients who are competitive, who have got, um, really strong goals physically and what they want to achieve. And um, are working um, damn hard to to get to 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 meet those goals. I mean, that's something I really wanted to sort of clarify as well, because as much as the people that we'll be speaking about are the top of the top of the people who are you know, in the spotlights, it's not what you're limiting yourself to, and you've got this wide clientele of people to get in touch with you and wanting to do it. So when people want to get in touch, where will they find you? How can they get in contact? So there's, I suppose, the, I mean. It, there's got a few ways. Um, you can just go onto our website. We just have we're just having that rebuilt. So, but the, the the old website is still live, and the new website will be published within within the next week or so. So that's HardemanPerformance.com. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram, and it's at HardemanPerformance One. Um, I also have a personal Instagram account, which is One Dale Hardyman, um, where I kind of share personal stuff and some stuff around training. Uh, maybe some stuff around mindset, but specifically injury prevention, rehab, recovery, and sport and performance. That's all shared at, at um, Hardem Performance One on Instagram. Um, so that'd probably be a good channel to find out more about what we're about as a company um, or as a business um, and how we help people. Um, yeah, you get a deeper understanding if you kind of flick through some of our posts. 
and that will all be in the description. Today's episode was brought to you by Mauler MMA. Use code FCMMA20 at checkout for 20% off on all products on maulermma.com.